Coming up, the latest on the Kansas City Royals from our team here at KCSN. All of our Royals content is brought to you by KC Strength and Conditioning, experts in baseball and softball training for kids ages 8 to 18. If you're in need, you're in luck. John and his crew have sent hundreds of players to college and the pros. That's KC Strength and Conditioning. And now, it's time for the latest updates on your Kansas City Royals. Welcome back in, everybody, to another episode of One Royal Way here on KC Sports Network. I am Jordan Foote. Joining me is Josh Kaiser. We are missing our good pal Joel Penfield this week. Um, Joel's fine. Everything is okay. He will be back next week. But um, it's just me and Josh writing, I guess, solo or duo for this one. Still going to be a fun podcast. Still got plenty to cover. Josh, how's it going, man? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm happy to be your Batman to your Robin uh, on this ride. So uh, excited to talk about this not-so-hot baseball team once again. Yeah, things are not going too good in Royals land. Something that does go good in Royals land and baseball land in general is our sponsor, KCSC. Um, If you have a kid in the area or know anybody who is looking for some extra training, some strength and conditioning work, KCSC is the place to go. We are always grateful to them for sponsoring this show. I guess we need to just rip the Band-Aid off again for another week. Um, It has not been going great for the Royals. They got, I don't want to say hot, but they technically did for a while and were winning and playing really competitive ball and everyone said, okay, this team competes. And then Johan, is it Oviedo? Johan. He had a fantastic game on Monday. Um, and I'm going to read off these quotes. And Josh said he has a few things to say about it. Um, the first one, MJ Melendez. We kind of came out flat today as a team. I think we could have hit him. I guess props to him for going all nine. But it was a battle with ourselves today. We didn't really play how we wanted to. And then he mentioned that playing with more energy is easier said than done. Matt Quichero saying we obviously didn't see him very well. We didn't threaten him at all. It was, relatively speaking, an easy nine innings. And we've talked about this team rolling over earlier in the season, then not rolling over as of late. Now they're talking about energy not being great. Like, it's not time to hit a panic button or anything because the season's lost and they're already bad enough. Like, this game didn't matter. But when you have guys that aren't too entrenched in their roles, like I get it, MJ Melendez is having a good second half, but even he needs to keep busting his ass. The whole team not doing that, that sends a bad message to me. And I know that there are fans out there that it sends a bad message to as well. Yeah, and it was it was super obvious that this was happening last night, especially. Um, it just seems like it finally caught up to him, that the hot streak where – the offense was carrying everything and the starting pitching was doing okay, but they were still weren't winning games. I think was a, I mean, that can absolutely weigh on a team, especially I mean, even if they're just like out there competing for assessment and future roles and whatever. And it was around the sixth inning, Ryan Lefevre and HUD were talking about it, how, you know, they're, they looked pretty flat on the offense, especially. And so it was pretty common after those long road trips. Um, and it makes sense because not only was it a long road trip over the last three weeks, They've gone from Philly to Oakland, back up to Seattle, and now back to Kansas City. They've had two days off in the month of August. That will absolutely flatten the team, especially an offense that's out there every day. So it makes sense. 
Uh, the offense did average 4.2 runs per game in the last three weeks, uh, and they still came out what three and ten over the last 13 games. And they that includes a two out of three losses to the Oakland A's, who is the only team that has a worse record than you. That's got away on you at that point. But the thing that kind of I don't know weight on me a little bit was there was no energy giver like you always need that guy in the clubhouse it's been Salvador Perez quite a bit it's been guys like Benny Pasquantino it's been guys Nicky Lopez has been kind of a spark plug in that dugout every now and then but I just don't see that guy in the dugout right now and we can really use it I mean obviously Benny's hurt Salvi who knows is he checked out I don't know We'll, we'll have to kind of stay tuned for that I've heard that Nelson Velasquez is like a is a little firecracker. Same with Samad Taylor. So yeah. if they're both kind of trying to fill that role, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Is it can is, can we just call the season off? Is it done? <laughs> is there nothing more to see here? Because I'm still watching. I'm still looking, and I guarantee you that front office is too. So can't afford to go flat on any game. But I, I can also understand why they're kind of doing it. Yeah, and and there's ebbs and flows in every season, right? Yeah. And usually though, when there is a winning streak. Someone writes, not a puff piece, but like a story highlighting it. And they're like, okay, this guy stepped up and said, we need to do this. And it had sparked this. Like, they didn't really have that. It wasn't like Bobby Wood Jr. was like, all right, guys, get your head out of your ass. Let's go do this. Or Salvador Perez went up and said, hey, I'm tired of losing. Let's go on a winning streak. Like, sure, you can pull a quote. They were just playing all around good ball. Mm-hmm. There wasn't one guy outside of Bobby Wood Jr. that was really carrying that movement. And he was doing it on the field with this play the leadership is just there. So it's like the same thing. Um, I'm going to transition into my point real quick. Speaking yeah. of ebbs and flows over the course of a year, Freddie Fermin is coming back down to earth some, and it's not like super alarming, but I noticed some stuff. So this year, 107 WRC plus, um, the BABIP is down to 314 after it was pretty crazy earlier in the year, mm-hmm. walking right around 5% of the time, striking out 20% of the time. Uh, 22, sorry. In August, though, 64 WRC plus, he's walking 1.5% of the time. I'm guessing that means he has one walk. Um, striking out the same 22%, so that's not a big deal. The barrel rate, pretty consistent with his season average. The hard hit rate, pretty consistent with his season average. Um, the out-of-the-zone contact percentage, though, 43%, and his average is 58 for the seasons, like when he's going after some of those pitches and getting hits that were falling earlier in the year, they're not now. Um, or he's just straight up missing on them, um, despite the actual swing percentage being pretty similar. So he's still being aggressive and still being that guy. It's just not working for him. And he's been terrible against fastballs this month. Um, Fangraphs does that like runs above average per pitch or whatever it is. And his is minus 4.7. In August, it's minus 5.3 for the year. It's like he's made up a shit ton of ground the wrong way in one month. And he's hitting 211 against him, slugging 389. Um, but the expected stuff, 262 and 431. So instead of the really good luck impacting him, been a little bit of bad luck impacting him. Like I think it averages out at some point. You're still right around a. I don't know, 90, 95, 100 WRC plus hitter. Like Freddie Fermin still a valuable piece, but we can officially, I think, write off the, oh, is he like a future face of the franchise pillar? No, that's not going to happen. But is he still in the conversation to be like a starting level catcher? I don't think it's beyond that point yet at all. I think something I need to look up in the offseason is 
just how relatively bad they are against fastballs because it seems like a lot of hitters on the Royals struggle with the fastballs. And if there was a pitch you did not want to struggle against, it might be the one that gets thrown more than half the time most of the time. So, yeah, I, it's something I'm going to probably try to look at a little bit more in the offseason and uh, see if there was a little bit more relativity to that because that's not great if they are not good against fastballs. So it might be a uh, approach adjustment type of thing. But, yeah, you're right. It for me, might not be a 134 WRC plus guy. <laughs> he might not be him, as the kids say. He might exactly. just be that or a guy instead of that guy, and that's okay. Yeah. And if you have a bunch yeah. of guys, that's fine. It's yeah. okay, especially if he's like if his role is a backup catcher, or yeah. even if he's like a three out of five day catchers. Uh, I think that's still a decent, you know, decent clip for that that role. So mm-hmm. if it keeps Salvi from uh, from you know wearing the tread on the tires a little bit more then that's still it's still a win i think at this point but yeah i i think everybody kind of saw that uh regression to the mean coming at some point. yeah that's uh, bad has got a cool down people were like projecting and this is one of the worst segues ever transitions that he was going to be the guy behind the plate by the time the royals had their next stadium built and mm-hmm. constructed and freddie for me would still be there um and i guess we didn't talk about the new stadium much last week yeah Probably something we should cover for a few minutes now. A couple couple of weeks ago, I said something about like they love to do like drop big things on Tuesdays. Like right as we're trying to prep for a show, they'll do it like Tuesday. And sure enough, they did about Tuesday afternoon. Absolutely dropped a lot of cool things, including renderings about two the two possible locations of the new stadiums, which. I, I mean, I've said it before. I get pretty giddy about uh, rendering because that is part of my day job. But uh, just kind of had a few thoughts about each site. Um, it looks like that downtown. I'll start with the North Kansas City Stadium part because that's, to me, that kind of looked cooler. Yes. And with me being in the Northland, it looked, I mean, I know that area. I really like the area that is kind of built up there along Armour Road. I like that downtown North Kansas City area a lot. There's a lot of cool things down there. And so if you throw a ballpark district down there, it's going to be incredible. And it gave me like SoFi Stadium vibes. Yeah, so I, I I really like that area, and I would love to see it kind of, I think it expands downtown area, downtown Kansas City, even if it is North Kansas City. I think as a whole, it kind of does kind of expand that further. Um, so I, I was getting a little partial to the Northland. It's not, it's not downtown Kansas City, which is what this kind of seemed like they were shooting for from the jump. Um so I still don't know if this is a real thing or if it's just a leverage play, a very costly and expensive leverage play. But yeah, it, it was really, really cool. I did like the downtown stadium one too. That seems like it has a little bit more of a shot at being a, they talked about it, wanting a year-round entertainment district mm-hmm. revenue generator. And I think that downtown area next to the T-Mobile Center, next to Power & Light, kind of expanding that side of the downtown loop has more of a, a realistic shot at being a 365 revenue generator. So I, I can see the pros and cons of both. I'm a little bit partial to the Northland uh, area. It's going to take a lot of logistical improvements because it is already super crowded in that, in that area. So uh, it's going to take a lot. But uh, I'm not mean like a 51% leaning towards the the Northland one. But uh, you know it, it is what it is at this point. But that's I just that's all I had on the, the downtown stadiums. Yeah, no, I, I think, and the way I've explained it to other people is, 
A, it's going to happen either way. Like people that are resisting it still, like get over it. It's going to happen. Exactly. Secondly, I think the the North Kansas City one had like little lazy river like floating mm-hmm. and it, like that is more fun. I like the North Kansas City plan more. I think the downtown one is more practical and more realistic. So like I'm kind of trying to bridge the gap there. And I'm like personally as someone who likes baseball and if I was coming from outside of Kansas City, I'd want to be downtown and say, okay, here, let's go to downtown and walk to the park. But also if you could get 10 to 15 minutes from that spot and go to this really cool freaking stadium that has all the shit, like I think I'd rather do that. Now, someone who lives in Kansas city, I'd much rather do the the second one. I'd much rather go out to the North Kansas city stadiums. Like I think if you're visiting in, and like you said, the 365, the the economic impact, I think all of that stuff jibes better with a downtown stadium. Um, I personally like the North Kansas city one better. Like that's just my opinion. I don't know if other people share that. Some people probably don't give a shit at all. Some people hate one of them probably and don't like the other. Or hate them both. Or hate them both. And that's, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you're going to run into some of those at any spot. But uh, we're going to take a break real quick. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. The the polls I saw, I saw a bunch of people doing polls. Like, which one would you rather have? It seemed like the downtown Kansas City or no new stadium was very heavily favored in, in, uh, that Northland location was not at all uh, impressive to some, I guess. So it's, I think we are definitely, it's interesting that we both kind of share that and share that opinion considering the polls don't say that. Yeah. I have a feeling we're going to feel pretty much the same about this guy coming up. We're going to talk about him right after this break. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app, find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. College football fans, are you ready for week one? DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking you up with a can't-miss offer to start the season strong. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Anything can happen in college football. Your team could go from unranked to dynasty mode in just a couple of years. Change comes fast. The only thing that's a lock is the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. Life's more fun when you're in on the action, so here's what you got to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code KCSN. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on college football. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code KCSN, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You must be 21 years or older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus bets expire seven days after assurance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. We are back. Thank you for listening to One Royal Way. Producer Nick says 7 out of 10 on the transition. I'd probably give it like a 5 out of 10, just a really mid transition. Now, Kent Swanson has some 11 out of 10s. He also has some 1 out of 10s. So if I can incorporate a little bit better one on the next one, then we'll be good. But he's a power um, I mean, He, he is. He like... He's Jorge Soler. They're like yeah. Joey Gallo or someone like that. Um, I've got you to transition. Says my average better. Yeah. I've got your transition right here. You're more of a Dyron Blanco player, huh? A little with transitions. <sighs> We're going to find out if that's good or not. Now, <laughs> Dyron Blanco this year slashing 250, 317, 435. His WRC plus is a very respectable 101. Walking 7% of the time, striking out 23.5%. 
since the beginning of July, though, Josh, and I didn't know this at all because, like, I kind of admittedly brushed him off to start this whole thing. I was like, yeah, he's a 30 year old. He's Paulo Orlando, like, whatever. Slashing 286, 344, 482. That WRC plus is 122. The strikeout rate's cut down 9%. The walk rate's the same. He's interesting, and that's not something I thought I'd say even when he did come up, and it's not be completely buying into him by any means, but I think the word for me is interesting at the very least. It's it's also very interesting, as you say, Paulo Orlando, because I was talking about Dyron Blanco with my brother, and he came up with also Paulo Orlando kind of unprompted. So that's that's very interesting that you would say that. So huh. I went back and looked at... Started at the All-Star break just because, yes, it's kind of a arbitrary date, but it is kind of a firm date that people kind of like to use. And there's been plenty of talk about a lot of players making adjustments around that All-Star break. And like MJ Melendez is the Mike Massey's, and maybe Daryl Blanco turned the page at that, but you kind of rattled off some of it uh, as well. But I just, from the All-Star break, he's slashing 326, 392, 554 with a 153 WRC+. plus. That is just 52 plate appearances because he has a role on this team and they are sticking to that role. And I like, I'm into it. I mean, he's 30 years old. He is what he is. I don't think he's, I mean, I think we're, what he is showing is probably his ceiling. And if he can do that as an inconsistent role player that can come in and play all three outfield positions, run well, feel pretty well, and hit for average pretty well when he's asked to. I think that's a perfect role for him moving forward, and I think that that is a guy that you're getting in his prime. Maybe he's probably past his prime after this in theory, but you're going to be able to get him for the league minimum for the next three years, and I think that's a W at this point. If 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 you want to chalk him into the lineup as like not a core guy, but a guy that you can depend on, maybe like a Freddie Fermin type of guy, then I think that they've actually found something in extra in this assessment year and that is Dyron Blanco so if that's what his role is moving forward and he's good at it then that's like is that as valuable as Draw Dyson was during the postseason runs it, it's it's interesting and like we've talked about people have complained Kyle Osball doesn't get enough playing time it's not consistent and in the past Drew Waters wasn't getting a consistent role yada yada like all these guys that oh they're putting him in and out of the lineup they're jerking these guys around you can't settle into a groove if you're not playing Blanco hasn't been playing every single day in the same spot and in the same part of the like he has been kind of the epitome of that and even with that he's still been succeeding and he's going to be 31 next year like we we talk about his future uh, spot on the team he is at the worst a guy unless the bat totally craters and we're having a different conversation but the sprint yeah. speed's 100th percentile he has 16 stolen bases in 48 games, which is ridiculous. Um, Fangraphs gives him one out above average in the outfield, uh, 4.6 UZR. So he's played good defense at the worst. Neutral, I think he's probably slightly above average defense. Um, the speed is very good. That makes up a lot of it. The Royals have a lot of cooks in the kitchen in the outfield next year. They've got MJ Melendez, they've got Drew Waters, they've got Kyle Isbell, they've got Blanco, they've got Nelson Velasquez. You can throw Nick Prado in there probably. Um, That's without anyone from the minor league system coming up and playing a role. Like, they would benefit from finding out what all those guys are, which was supposed to be this year, and now we don't have a ton of clarity, and they also added someone in, so you're like, okay, yeah. whatever. Um, But they'd also benefit from 
probably adding one like reliable core piece. Like if they invest in anything in the entire lineup, I would argue that an outfielder is probably the way to go. It, you say too many cooks in the kitchen. Are they more? They're not chefs. They're more like two chefs instead of the head chef. Line cook. Line cook. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what it seems to be. I mean, it seems like a lot of them do something well, but not they're not well rounded by any means. Like Oliveris, Nelson Nelson Vlasquez seem to be great at the dish. And that I is, forgot Oliveris too. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, and then MJ Melendez, you could probably throw him in there as well, but his defense is piss poor, potentially the worst out of those three. And then you have Drew Waters, who is so hot and cold, but he is steady and really good in the field same as Kyle Isbell we just need some consistency and we need well-rounded guys here we need some well-rounded ships if you will and I mean go back to Dario Blanco his defense is still uh let's see 23 in the outfield uses yard per 150 he has 60 for defensive run saves and one outs above replacement so maybe, I mean, maybe it is a Gerard Dyson role, and maybe it's a very, very valuable piece of that because he is a more consistent hitter than Gerard Dyson ever was, at least what we've seen here. So if by uh, any miracle in the world, <laughs> fighting themselves contending in the next two years, and Dyron Blanco is still that fourth or fifth yeah. out, well, I think that's still a very, very valuable piece. Or that could be a very valuable piece as a trade asset. So if you... There is a log game, and you don't think Dyron Blanco is going to be around for the next time that he is going to be valuable to a contender. Then you can ship him out, add him to a sweetener. We've always talked about all these other guys that could bring back some value. But I mean, three cheap years to Dyron Blanco to a contender is not nothing. You can actually pull something away from that. I think not not like a top one hundred or anything, but get you get you another guy like Cole Reagans could be a project. So yeah, I think that there's some definitely some benefit to keep him around long term, but it's also did a bit, but potentially beneficial to see if you can get a deal for him. Yep, no, a hundred percent. And the free agent market doesn't exactly have a lot of Gordon Ramsays out there, you know, as far as outfielders are concerned. Like Joey Gallo strikes out forty three percent of the time. It's brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Conforto playing probably the worst defense of his career, and then he has the player option. Kevin Kiermeyer is going to be. 34 next season despite the strong defense and Jesse Winker is out there he's a poor defender and he struggled this season like I those guys were off the top of my head I have three that I think are somewhat intriguing but Josh I want to know what guys you have as uh, far as targets are concerned how many do you have and what are you thinking I don't want them to sign any bats, period. I want all the money to go to the pitching, just for the record. But I wouldn't be mad if they did bring in a guy like Adam Duvall. Um, right-handed guy, pretty good. I mean, he had 138 WRC plus in Boston this year. Underrated in the field, I would say. I, I didn't really think that there was much to that until I saw him doing things in Atlanta, which God knows. I, I had no idea he was able to actually field, but having a good uh, good year with the glove as well this year. So he's a free agent. <coughs> Shouldn't cost a lot. He's 34 years old, like I said, right-handed batter. So I think there is some benefits there to the game that he could bring to the, the, the table. But, again, I'm not really that excited about signing anybody at the, at the positions. I've got three left on the list. And, like, I don't really like any of these guys, to be honest with you. Maybe the last one. 
Uh, Max Kepler has a $10 million club option. He's been a two-plus win player for the past three years. He will be 31 at the beginning of next season. Uh, Harrison Bader got placed on waivers by the Yankees on Tuesday. The problem is he has an 82 WRC plus the past two years, but he's combined for 2.8 F4. So the defense is still top-notch. The bat has been better, maybe a reclamation project. He's also just going to be 29, so he's on the younger side. And then Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is going to be 30. He has a worst uh, season WRC plus of 102. He's been a one, one and a half win player every year. Like it's a pretty safe floor. The problem, bad defender. The Royals don't usually jive with that, but you can put him in a corner outfield spot if need be and hope that he's an improvement over an MJ Melendez, which is not mm. difficult to do. But the problem is like when you have Melendez who has had a really good second half so far, but was so bad in the first half, you still aren't completely sure if he's a long-term piece of the team. You don't want to go after a lottery ticket. If you're going to spend on a bat in the outfield, you want someone who is damn going to be good every day and be out there every day for three or four years. Like I think we talked earlier, it should be like a three or four year contract. It shouldn't be this two year, like the, the Michael Conforto pitch that people had during last off season, I guess. Oh, give them two years for 35 million or whatever. Like that's not going to help them at all. <laughs> really. It's going to give them one more win perhaps. Yep. Um, but that's all that comes to mind. Like I think the, the outfielder market kind of is not good. I don't want to say it sucks. It's just not very good in the Royals, even though they should go after a big time guy, they're not going to, and the rest just doesn't look very great. And you're right. I mean, that's exactly where I would look to add is in the outfield, just because that's been their weakest spot outside of first base. And that's going to be in theory occupied by Vinny and Prado next year, uh, hopefully, and a little, probably a little bit of Salvia as well. And a lot of those guys are just free agent acquisitions of guys that we kind of already have, it seems like. And that seems to be the read on the entire market. So if you're going to go for a big name guy, it's probably going to have to be through the trade market. And we'll see see how big of players that they are in that as well. So I don't know. We'll we'll uh, we'll see about that. But yeah, we'll uh, yeah. I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll, have to see. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to see about this guy. We're really gonna peel the onion back with him, and then uh, probably talk about a place that the Royals could spend this offseason and probably should. So we'll be back after this break, and we'll talk about. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. What's good, everybody? It is Ben Heisler from Benny and the Bets here on KCSN. And if you are ready to go the distance and improve your golf game like I am in the process of doing, I want you to head on over to PXG right here in Kansas City and take the PXG Gen 6 Driver Challenge. They are confident in the Gen 6 that they're putting their money where their mouth is. If their Gen 6 driver does not deliver more distance, more carry and roll, higher dispersion compared to your current driver when you go in for a fitting, they got you covered with a $100 MasterCard reward card. That's it. Go in for a driver fitting. See if your driver is up to their driver. And if it is, you get a $100 MasterCard reward card in the process. This is an unbelievable opportunity to upgrade your game with a custom fit PXG fitting. I've had it at the Kansas City store with Alex. It was one of the great experiences I've had in a golf fitting period. So take the PXG Gen 6 driver all throughout the month of August and get ready to hit those fairways with confidence. 
So visit your local Kansas City store or head on over to pxg.com for all the terms and conditions. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We're back. John McMillan. 2.25 2.25 ERA, eight strikeouts, hasn't walked anybody in four games with the big league club since getting called up. He throws the high 90s fastball. Double A was fantastic. He was striking out a shit ton of people. Fits in the back of the bullpen, deserves a chance. Like, Josh, I we don't know a lot about him yet based on what he can do at the big league level, but my one sentence like takeaway and transition to you is that he deserves a chance to see what he can do. That's essentially it. That's, I mean, That's who else are you marching out there? Who else is coming out there? Nobody. Um, he's been great. Absolutely stellar. He's been back when they brought Josh Stalmont up and he started making appearances. He was a, he was appointment television and I, yeah. I kind of gave Dylan Coleman that, uh, that label last year. 
and this year the whammer is getting that title as well and i hope that he fares a little bit better than those first two because God, I don't know what happened to Willa Coleman. He Coleman still might be appointment, depending still on what team you're he is, rooting for. He is electric. He needs to get it under control. We He went back to Omaha, and he needs to get it figured out because he could be an absolute weapon, and that could be a very, a very electrifying bullpen. If all things are clicking, everybody's throwing strikes, they have some great stuff. Stamont, who knows what happens to him from here on out. He can't stay healthy. That's always been his thing. Um, he's Regardless if he's healthy, he's not throwing hard anymore. Uh, he looked like he was trying to transition a little bit more of a jump baller that still could hit mid-90s, but not what you're wanting him to hit. Um, and I, I didn't expect a whole lot from John McMillan, especially not this quickly. I mean, he made that jump straight from double-A. I mean, he started the year out in low-A. Um all things considered, now he's making his MLB debut. He's four innings deep, and he's looked absolutely incredible out there. So if this is real and it's sustainable, and I have faith in this pitching coaching staff that he can sustain it and it could be real, then he could be a monster in the back of this bullpen for, for the next three or four years, and he could be the next one we're clamoring to trade in 2028 because uh, trade relievers or something. Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head, and he has all the control. He's going to be 26 in January, so he can be a multi-year piece. And then when he's 29, if he's coming off a couple good years, Royals can flip him for really good value. Um, he compliments the fastball. I guess he doesn't really even compliment it because he throws the slider 58% of the time so far. That could change by the time he gets some more outings under his belt. But you look at the bullpen for 24, McMillan... Uh, Carlos Hernandez should be counted on. Austin Cox, probably Will Klein, probably Jake Brents. Uh, he's working his way back. Alec Marsh, if he's not in the starting rotation, that's kind of TBD. Uh, Stalmont, like you mentioned, is Taylor Clark under contract next year? Yes. Yep. Okay, so maybe Taylor Clark, like cheap control, hard-throwing guy, has had the strikeout success at every level and at a very, very, very limited sample size is doing it right now. Mm -hmm. I think the Royals bullpen, and we say this every year, but like, I think it's the easiest place to tangibly improve via the free agent market in the offseason. You can go out and get some relatively cost controlled guys to help improve that pen. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at probably two impact arms this offseason, maybe two in a reclamation project, maybe one and one. You don't want to overkill it because of what's coming up the pipeline and also figuring out what you have. Like, it's the same song and dance with everything else. But if you strip it down, I think Lesky did that on a newsletter recently. You can really only lock in and guarantee so many guys that have a pitching arm in the Royals' mm -hmm. staff, whether it's rotation or bullpen. So um, McMillan could turn into one of those guys. It's still early. He should be given a shot. But, um, Josh, what do you think, A, about maybe anyone I missed for 24 and then you can give me a couple guys that you're thinking about as far as free agency is concerned. Uh, did you say Brents? I did with a question okay. mark. I was like, Jake yeah. Brents? Uh, kind of, maybe? That's, that's, a, that's exactly how it should be treated for sure. Uh, I mean, Zerpa is also in the mix. Uh, good who one. knows what his role is at that point. I think he'll probably start out at AAA, try to stretch him out, keep him as a starter because he's more valuable that way. He hasn't been great out of either uh either positions and roles at this point so 
still super young. So just go see what he can he can figure out in Omaha the next year and don't put any pressure on it. But I think he kind of hit all the uh, internal candidates outside of Stephen Cruz uh, promoted today to join the MLB club. And I kind of looked at he needed to be added to the 40-man roster. He's been pretty good lately in Omaha. So I was kind of wondering if they were going to potentially add him to the 40-man in the offseason. But they did go ahead and pull that trigger. And I'm excited to see. He's got to, I mean, he throws cheddar. He has control issues. And that is the MO of the bullpen for the next three years. <laughs> Which is fine. I mean, that's exciting. That is uh, that is exciting, I think. But it can be absolutely infuriating. But they throw the hell out of the ball. So that's also fun. Um, they could also add, I think Beck Way is due to be added. Mm-hmm. Yeah. good. Uh, Jeffrey Del Rosario has been pretty solid, and then Luander Avila can be added, but I think they'll probably keep him more as a uh, starter potentially as well. Yeah. So we'll see about that, but obviously also Veneziano is the other one that is going to be in the mix, probably in the starting rotation, and that could probably push out a guy, like you said, Alec Marsh could be pushed to the, the bullpen at that point. So they've got arms that they need to figure out, and they got internal options that we could see by the end of this year, even to see what they've kind of got to get them in any kind of sample size to assess. But speaking of assessment, I did kind of draw out using this roster as like, what does the payroll look like over the next three or four years? How much room they could have to throw at a free agent. And I think that they could potentially add somewhere between 20 and $40 million in payroll over the next three or four years. Like you said, I think it's got to be that four-year deal. So the big ones, like obviously the Shohei's are out, but I think the Blake Snell of the world is probably not going to be in our price range. Board knows the Julio Urias's are not going to be part of that. Part of that as well, but they could add a guy like one impact guy is like Yimmy Garcia having a solid year in Toronto, thirty-three years old. He has four pitches that are over a hundred on Stuff Plus models. Maybe you can get him signed like two for $20 million. Um, he'd come via the back of that bullpen, add to the mix, and uh, and kind of be an anchor if if you're having struggle trying to get Carlos Hernandez to be consistent yep. or McMillan stops throwing strikes or everybody's hurt and you just need somebody. I think Jimmy Garcia is another option. But the other two options I have is probably for more for the rotation. So do you, you want to talk about your uh, assessment of rotation before we do that? Yeah, I was going to list a couple bullpen guys, and then we can jump in. I, I think I have a list, and again, it's like the outfield market. I didn't really pick high-profile guys. I think Nick Martinez, he has a $16 million club option. He has an ERA around four. He has experience as a starter. Could be kind of something where they go like a Ryan Yarbrough and say you're not going to strike out a ton of guys. You're not going to throw hard, but we trust you not to walk everybody. If you need some length out of the rotation, he can bring you that. Um, Michael Fulmer has always intrigued me, and I know that the ship has kind of sailed for him, but he's striking out more guys than he ever has by quite a bit this year. Full-time reliever now, no longer starting. Um, the FIP is 414, the ERA is 447. Uh, Archie Bradley got DFA last month and had a terrible seven-inning stretch with Miami. Could be a buy-low candidate where he rehabilitates his value. The Royals flip him, kind of like Chapman. There's other ga- names like, I don't know, uh, Drew Verhagen. Yeah, exactly. There's Jordan Hicks. There's, uh, what's Pierce's last name? Johnson. Pierce Johnson. That's Pierce a real Johnson. player. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, Matt Moore's like an older guy that I've always been intrigued by, but he's he's got to be 33, 34 by now. So yeah. 
not really a long-term play. Like they need to spend if they want someone impactful, I think, or at least someone they can count on to be impactful. Um, the starting rotation, I'm going to let you take the lead on that one because I'm interested. We, I think we feel the same way about who does and doesn't belong. I'm interested to see what's your fix for it, at least stepping it in the right direction. I think you're obviously putting in pin. You got Singer and Reagans or the pin. I think you get Pencil and Lynch. <clears throat> Bubich is probably not going to be ready. Are we thinking like July? Is that is that kind yeah, of the I, consensus? Yeah, I think so. Like it's what? It's over 12 months, I believe, right? Because it's yeah. relatively early in the season. So that gives him, he'd be fully back by then, like stretched out, able to pitch, you know, a five yeah. inning game, something like that. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like there's gonna, they're going to need to start Jordan Lyles in that rotation. And I think, I think you talked about it last week for better or for worse, his eight and a half million reasons why he will be in that rotation, at least the staff, if not the rotation. But if Boob, when Bubich gets, back then we can start talking about maybe shifting Lyles to a Chris Young mop-up role to 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 pick up those to eat those innings in a meaningful way I guess at this point not not at a team that's 42 and in 97 or whatever we are at this point so I, I think yeah. that and then the fifth spot is somewhere between Alec Marsh Veneziano Zerpa or any free agent addition yeah which brings me to my my research i think our guy jack johnson seems to be beating the drum pretty hard in jordan montgomery and i kind of like yeah. that 31 years old uh he has out of 26 starts this year 16 of them are quality starts which is as steady and as consistent as you're probably going to get for a guy that's that's probably not going to cost you an arm and a leg spot track has him estimated about 17.6 percent annual average value on the market yep. To come to Kansas City, I'm going to guess you're going to have to pay him at least $20 million per. And I think he would fit that four-year, I guess, time window that you have to spend the money. So maybe four years, $80 million for Jordan Montgomery makes sense, uh, both to the front office and to the dynamic of this uh, pitching rotation. The main one I want to shoot my shot on is Lucas Giolito, uh, 29 years old. Eats innings effectively. That is the difference between him and Jordan Lyles is he does pitch all season, and they are, for the most part, pretty effective. Has been an ace in the White Sox staff. Spot track estimates about $17.5 million again, which I think is super low, so I think you're going to have to give him at least 21 a year. And I probably think you probably need to add an extra an extra year on at least to, to get him on because he is just 29 years old, so... Five years, $106 million to Lucas Giolito to be the ace of this staff. Um, whether or not he pitches like that ace is not not important at this point, but you do need yeah. an innings eater that does it effectively. So if we're spending $30 million, $40 million a year, I want Lucas Giolito or Jordan Montgomery, Yimmy Garcia or Jordan Hicks, and then maybe some reclamation projects to kind of fill in the depth of the organization and then see where that gets you. That's good. Um, I had all those guys you brought up. I also, these guys are back to back on spot tracks listing at 12 million and right under 12 mm-hmm. million. Uh, Michael Lorenzen and Jack Flaherty. And yep. Lorenzen's a little bit older. He's going to be 32, I believe, beginning of next season, but having a fairly fine year. Flaherty's just, I've never been able to shake him. And he'll have like this six week stretch where he's terrible. And then he'll be 
dominant for five starts. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, well, there's Jack Flaherty. And he's also not old. He's been around the block a couple times still despite that. Um, I love what he brings to the table from an attitude standpoint, which might be a controversial take to some people. Um, I think that in the right situation, he can really, he always says, like, bring the spark. I think he can do that. He'd be a fun player. Um, mm. Someone that kind of would fit the timeline, especially with his age and, I guess, youth. So the rotation, they don't need to go out and sign five guys. A, they can't. Well, theoretically, they they can't realistically. B, they have two that whether you can count on them long-term or not, you can count on them for 2024. Then you have another that you probably should. Then you leave a spot for this random guy or this collection of random guys. So you can go after one, maybe two, if you really, really wanted to. I don't think the Royals will, unless it's like two middling guys that are mm-hmm. below even the names we mentioned. They go after a Jordan Lyles and a Ryan Yarbrough, something like that. Um then you probably have Jordan Lyles that, like you said, they're going to put him out there. So you go through this list and you're like, okay, they really should only probably get one starting pitcher. And that's not great in terms of the situation, but I would be surprised if they got two that I could look in December, January and say, okay, those guys could go from the beginning of the end of the season. I just don't see him doing it. Yeah. And I think the other, the other name we talked about was last week. It was Seth Lugo just because he could potentially go from that starting rotation, and he has plenty of experience in the bullpen as well. There was buzz so. last offseason, yes. right, for yeah. him? Yeah. Yep. So I think that that's also a possibility, but he did make himself quite a bit of money, I think, in his last year with uh, with San Diego as well. So we we got to kind of narrow down, though. They could only really sign maybe one or two of these guys and then expect them to be part of the plan. It needs to be a significant signing, ace-type stuff, but... You always got to think about that qualifying offer. And guys like Aaron Nola, guys like Julio Urias, guys like Blake Snell are probably going to get that qualifying offer that's going to be attached to losing your third highest draft pick. At that point, you're looking at losing your, was it a comp balance A probably at that point? Yeah. Um, let's see. No, I'm sorry. That's the that's the second round. That's the second round pick. Oh, the gotcha. Third highest. Uh, but if Bobby Witt Jr., finishes in the top three of the AL MVP race at any point, they also get that PPI pick, which is between yeah. the first round and the competitive balance one. So that would then be that they would lose the competitive balance A and have to pay this huge ace type Snell, Urias, Nola. I advocated for going for Nola last week. I still love Aaron Nola, but it is as bad as the Sporum system is. <laughs> it would be huge to be able to inject three guys that were top 50 picks into the system next year on top of the depth that they already have. I would love to have that and maybe it would be a little bit more meaningful than adding the ace to the competitive window that may or may not be open for the next two or three years. So that's all I wanted to add. That That was great. You threw me an alley-oop. We are going to rapid fire and not quite rapid fire. We can peel back on some of these guys. Um, Minor league report. We have neglected that in some recent podcasts because we did the mailbag and there was a trade deadline and we do want to talk minor league Royals baseball. And you touched on Steven Cruz earlier, um, 2.2 ERA in 32 innings at double A. He struggled in triple A, but the strikeouts and blocks were remarkably consistent with what he was already doing. It was 22 to 10 in 17 innings. That fastball pumps high 90s. Everything else is kind of up for interpretation, but he has a slider there too that he'll go to. Um, I remember 
I think it was Royals Farm. It was Alex that on his site I was reading a ranking and he said something like uh, decent stuff, command is super questionable, or maybe it was vice versa. It's like this guy has some of the pieces that could make a viable back of the bullpen reliever. He has the hard part out of the way, or I guess the easy part, I guess, with the the stuff you can't teach mm-hmm. with the velo. And you can hopefully teach him to hone it in and develop some of his stuff to be more proficient. But um, with him, you can't say that guys didn't really deserve it because of how bad the team is and how not great the farm system is. Not saying it's terrible, but it's not in a good spot. So uh, Stephen Cruz, shout out to him. That is my AAA kind of highlight for the recent Royals development. And kind of speaking of a guy that probably deserves a little bit more uh, memory is Edward Olivares, and I just don't yeah. know what to do with him. I kind of mentioned earlier that he got sent down at 813, and since then he's slashing 385, 444, and 744 for an 1188 OPS. Also has three bags stolen, so in that time frame, he's still working his ass off. So he's he's putting in the work. He's still playing hard. Assuming he's down there to get better on defense and more reads, more reps he has in the outfield, the better. He's probably the guy that gets called up for that roster expansion here in a couple days. So I'd say you could probably see him in a Royals uniform sooner rather than later. But what what do you do with him from here on out? Like we talked about, there's plenty of line cooks in this outfield. Yeah, somebody's got to step set themselves apart in order to be considered part of the part of the core moving forward. So he's having some success in Omaha. People always talk about the biggest gap between Omaha or AAA and major leagues is happening right now and it's only getting wider every year. So I think he's the perfect player to kind of uh, signify that gap. But yeah, I'm just not real sure what to do with him from here out, but he is hitting really well in Omaha so far. Yeah, he, he's the perfect player, the poster child for what we mentioned earlier with the outfielders. It's like, oh, this guy's not playing every day. It's not fair. You're jerking him around. Yeah. He had that forever in a day <laughs> and never had the consistent role. And it was the Edward Olivares highway and all that stuff. With Even that when he was healthy. Though, yeah, he exactly. Was, he, he I just, so much time with injuries, and then he got healthy. Yeah. And still very inconsistent. I, I just don't... They have Nelson Velasquez that I think yeah. can be the new Edward Olivares, the guy with some pop that is not a very good defender, but is the new kid on the block that you can find stuff out about. The problem is you can't really have two of those guys unless they're splits are completely reversed and then you're like tuning them, but then you're taking someone else's reps away. So like, I, 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 I had some tough one, man, but what do you got for double eight? Uh, I got two. Both of them got promoted to Northwest Arkansas uh, at the beginning of the month was Mason Barnett and Javier Voss. I've been a big boss guy uh, since the beginning of the season this year, but Barnett has four starts in the last month, 19 innings pitched. Four earned runs, <clears throat> just 18 base runners in those 19 innings. But he has a 33.3% K rate and a 6.7% walk rate. 22 years old, so age appropriate for double A. Um, and he, he was the third round pick of last year's draft, but he's kind of just started to pop up on radars and not just like local minor league radars. A lot of people are taking notice of what Mason Barnett's doing down in uh, both in high A and double A at this point. So uh, good to see that, and obviously Javier Boss just does nothing but have professional plate appearances, <laughs> slashing 313, 450, and 417, walking more than he's striking out. He has 11 walks to seven strikeouts, hitting for power and average and not striking out and providing good defense at multiple positions. I'm a big Javier Boss guy. I think he, he's he got it. Um, still got some time to kind of mess that up and 
make me look like a fool, which is usually how this goes. But uh, for now, both Javier Voss and Mason Barnett are having solid uh, double-A debuts. What about you? Another player that can play multiple positions on defense, Peyton Wilson, um, 272-358-394 slash, 102 WRC plus on the season. The WRC plus is 123 in the month of August. He's hitting 310, running into basically the same amount of power, but he's walking more, um, 10.9% walk rate, 17.8% strikeout rate, better contact, better swing decisions. The defense is still solid. He has the versatility. The issues with him, he's 5'8", whatever it is, one something. Like, he's just a small dude in general. Yeah. The power and the frame, the lack of power and the lack of a frame are legitimate questions with him. He's never going to have the high ceiling. He's always going to be the uh, guy that people count out, basically. But at a certain point, if he keeps producing at a decent level and it's a Nick Lofton-type situation, he doesn't have the frame and can bulk up like a Nick Lofton did, but... This guy that just keeps producing the 100 to 110 range of the WRC plus category can play a few different positions defensively. He is someone worth keeping an eye on, I think, which is, again, that's all you can ask for for a guy like that because the odds are already against him. Yep. I remember when he was drafted, I talked to Alex Duvall Rose Farm and I sent him a very swear laden message being like, why are we always drafting these light hitting middle? It's this underdog, dude. No projection. Yeah. I was just like, angry and it was like a second round pick or something i just didn't understand and he was the one like peyton wilson might actually be a guy so it's like okay <laughs> maybe i'll just calm down I, I smarter people than me are getting on board with this so i guess i'll just kind of see how this goes but yeah i mean he had a really bad start too uh, yeah so to see him to see his like stat line be that good for the season knowing that he had such a bad start is is certainly promising for sure and speaking of promising Let's move to high A, the Quad Cities area, where I'm going Frank Mazzucato. Joseph, you know, the last couple of weeks was talking about having uh, worries about Foster Griffin vibes. Totally understand it. Soft tossing fastball from the left hand. Totally get that. But in his last two starts, 10 innings pitch, two earned runs, five hits, four walks, and 15 strikeouts. Uh, Preston Farr uh, covers the Royals, you know, my league systems, get them all on Twitter at, at Royals Miners, but he also writes for Royals Review as well as the Patreon. But at Royals Review, he wrote an article about him potentially adding a slider or at least making his 12 to 6 curveball a little bit more slurvy. There's definitely some more lateral movement to it. Um, add to that the fact that his fastball is not, it, it is. The velo needs to come up, and he is still 20 years old, so there's still plenty of reason to think that he could potentially add more velo to his fastball. But the, what do they call it, the IB? IVB, there it is. IVB, there it is. IVB, yep. Basically, just just the rotation of it makes it more deceptive. So it is slow, but if he adds more velo to it, it's already got good spin on it. So... I think it could still be effective. I'm obviously not giving up on him. It is nice to see that he's had two good starts in a row. Another guy that is in high A and has had a good last two starts, Ben Kuderna, um, 10 and a third innings pitched, 10 hits allowed, five earned runs, eight strikeouts, two walks. He's been better, and he has 5.590 RA and six starts at high A. 27 strikeouts to 10 walks, five home runs allowed. So the long ball's been getting him a little bit. Not concerned quite yet. I believe in Ben Kuderner long-term. 
maybe more than I believe in Frank Mazzucato long-term. And that's just because of the concerns. I, I don't have the Joel level concerns with Mazzucato's fastball, but um, he does have to put it not together, but up a level fairly quickly. I think again, he is 20 though. So there's time mm. um, he's been Kuderna has been better as of late. Again, it's only two starts. It's one of those things where the sample's just not big enough yet. He hasn't struggled for long enough to where like, oh shit, this guy's tanking or he hasn't been good enough for long enough to where you're like, okay, he's figured it out. So um, he is my highlight for high A. Columbia, seventh round pick from this year, Trevor Warner. He's been great. 19 games at Columbia slashing 314, 415, 643. That is a 189. WRC plus he has 11 strikeouts to 20 or sorry, 11 walks to 21 strikeouts. He's been fantastic and he can flash it at the hot corner. Um, he also, I believe pitched if I recall correctly in college and was one of those guys, the world's were like, okay, we view him as more of a hitter. They didn't really uh, specify him as a, a two way potential guy, not an indictment on him. Cause clearly one of the sides is working well so far. Yeah. Um, again, it's, it's it's early. It's Columbia. It's a guy that it was a seventh round pick. There's only so much to say, but I'm watching him for sure. I I mean, it makes the sense that he was a pitcher because six three two twenty five. It screams good on the mound. <laughs> he's a he's an absolute Clydesdale of a man. So I, I'm pumped to see. I did see that. I think somebody tweeted that he is he has the home run lead for uh, anybody in the rookie draft class so far. It's grief. Um, he could be. I mean, maybe he's the new Vinny Pasquantino. The guy didn't have much helium in the in the draft. Didn't really use a lot of assets on him, but just absolutely produces at the plate. So, uh, hopefully, he keeps it up as well. I had two things from Columbia. Uh, the Scott Barlow trade brought over Henry Williams uh, from San Diego. He's been solid through three starts. Um, pull up the. Uh, yeah, 15 innings pitched, three earned, eight hits, six walks, 15 Ks. He's still walking quite a bit, so his command seems to be a little bit questionable. He's still working back from Tommy John surgery, so it's still kind of a rehab year for him. But seeing him be a, be pretty solid through the first three starts in the in the system has been great. Uh, I love to see that. And then the next one is just like the Columbia offense in general has just been absolutely on fire. Uh, leads the International League in OPS over the last 30 days, hitting 766 in OPS as a team. They're second in runs scored uh, at 139, but for, uh, that they are still only 12 and 12, I believe, over the last month. So, uh, not translating to wins, unfortunately. But it is good to see that there is an offense somewhere in this minor league system that's actually producing. That's been the big, <laughs> the big problem with the farm system, especially uh, with this this season. So it is good to see them having success, and a lot of that. Success is coming from the guys they just drafted, like the Rockefellers, yeah. the uh, the Werners, the the Spencer Nivens of the of the yep. world. They've been all pretty solid. So that was a pretty solid injection of offense to where the first half was all about the pitch. So it's kind of a kind of a done the, the opposite uh, the opposite thing. So it's good to see. Uh, my parting shot here before we get out of here: Cole Reagans had seven innings, three hits, uh, one walk, nine strikeouts. Ooh. He threw 108 pitches. The second most strikeouts in a single month in franchise history. Listen, man, I am usually the last person to aboard the hype train for any of these players. And really, in general, I'm like, eh, whatever. It's just a small sample. I use that all the time. 
it's growing, man. And he has been dominant. And regression's coming. He's not going to be this good. That'd be absolutely insane. But he is further and further cementing himself as a 2024 viable piece for the Royals, at least to start the year and see if he can parlay it into more success. So shout out Cole Reagans. That's my final thought. Agreed. And the Velo was pretty much what it has been. So yeah. as long as his <clears throat> things stay attached to him up on the upper body and things just don't explode, I'm I'm also in the parting thing that I'm bringing the opposite of Cole Riggins. This can. Look at this Oof. lid. I mean, I've what been trying to hell? battle through that, but I've been drooling all over myself with it, and I'm going to put it down before I drive it all over my computer. But that can <laughs> is... We would call it the Tony Pena Jr. of Oof. cans. Oof. For for the people that are just that listening like and not watching, cans. it was like completely deformed. Like that can's fucked. Um, how how this thing is not taking out. a hunk out of my lip? I think is the big win of the <laughs> of the day. Oh man, we're getting the hell out of here, man. Josh, thank you for jumping on with me as always. Uh, Joel, we will see you back next week, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, drop a like, comment, subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, drop a review. Good, bad, preferably good. Um, if you are listening or watching, thank you guys so much. We will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.